in the previous episode we highlighted a lot about the whole tensions that DAOs face while doing the organizational canvas assessment. We now get into the cream of the uh, episode that is uh, his time over at Gitcoin DAO and uh, how his experiences over there shaped his thinking around dog design. We get into how he got the gig, uh, what exactly were the issues that Gitcoin faced in general and we also highlight how we also get into the mission and essential intent, how to develop that for DAOs and to facilitate that sort of tough conversations that naturally happen when uh, you're part of uh, a DAO in general. We also get into trivia questions about DAO design. So this is a fun convo. Uh, I think you DAO design geeks will really love it. Enjoy the episode. episode. I want to get more into uh, the whole Gitcoin DAO story that you kind of facilitated sure. for uh, our listeners here, you know, Sam Sperlin has worked very closely with uh, Gitcoin DAO and I really want to understand more of how that whole story came through and what were the learnings from that for our broader DAO operators here. How did you get the gig in the first place, man? Let's, uh, let's yeah. just get into that. <laughs> well, you you kind of already, I already mentioned the, the key person there. So Disruption Joe was kind of my first contact with folks at, at Gitcoin. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was just through Twitter. Um, you know, early on when Tanisi and I were trying to bring the ready to, to DAOs, we made a concerted effort to try to share some of the ready's foundational um, IP and our approaches to working with organizations on Twitter, but through a DAO lens, just to try to like start making connections so that we could um, potentially bring this to, to more folks. Joe saw something that I had tweeted and invited me um, we, we, we chatted a couple of times and invited me to come um, sit in on some of his work stream at um, Gitcoin's uh, fraud detection and defense, so FDD. So joining um, his work stream and, and just trying to be helpful where I could. I facilitated some um, kind of strategy meetings for his work stream specifically. And then he was um, you know, a great ally to uh, kind of bring me into Gitcoin beyond just FDD. Um, so kind of Thanks to Joe for you know bringing me into to Gitcoin, and then where I've been um, for since then is primarily um, at what Gitcoin calls their CSDO, their cross stream DAO ops, which is really kind of the group of people. Um, it's mostly it, 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 the easiest way to conceptualize that group is kind of the leads of each work stream, and that that group that is who I've been working with and, and kind of helping. And then kind of I've, I've transitioned from kind of Joe being my main kind of day to day. And I've been working with Jody and Chris um, kind of more on their out there in the, the DAO ops uh, work stream. And they've kind of been my connection into um, into to Gitcoin. So uh, for listeners who may not be aware of the broader uh, Gitcoin structure itself, you know, uh, Gitcoin has a, mul- a multiple player structure here. They have the foundation which serves as the key uh, funding, but they don't have a lot of the authority. The authority mm-hmm. rests among the work streams. Within the work streams, you have the PGF, which is essentially the public goods funding, which essentially facilitates the broader uh, grants rounds within Gitcoin. You have something called the Moonshot Collective, which essentially is the experimentation wing of uh, Gitcoin, where all these dApps which can facilitate public goods exist. They also kind of supplement the broader uh, product approach of uh, Gitcoin. You have uh, the Gitcoin product collective, if I'm not wrong, where all the product orientation around the Gitcoin main platform, the grants protocol, the Gitcoin passport, the entire development is done there. Along with that, you have FTD, 
where uh, Disruption Joe and Sam essentially worked at. Uh, that's where uh, all the algos and the cyber resistance uh, to prevent all sorts of fraud and to ensure that you know uh, money is sent to the right people at the right time, that's being done properly. Uh, these are the main uh, work streams around that. Every one of them will have a certain bunch of leads uh, for them to kind of facilitate their uh, operations and to ensure that budgeting is done properly. You have a central, I would call it a hub more than an authority where all these work streams come together. That's called this uh, uh, C CDSO or CSDO. CSDO. You know that, yeah. right? CSDO. Yeah. That's where a lot of the broader cross work streams are kind of done. Now, stepping back for a second, you know, now as the listeners understand that, okay, this is how the work streams are. You have Gitcoin that kind of facilitates a public goods funding through the grants program. You came in for the FTD work stream. What exactly were the issues that kind of got them interested to work with you in the first place? You know, because the way I see it, Gitcoin is a DAO, which is one of the most well-organized, at least from the, from an outsider's perspective. The most, uh, in terms of branding, in terms of the community cohesion and that uh, visual effect, no one has uh, kind of been a better role model than Gitcoin itself. So I want to understand the primary reason itself was to understand what made them cohesive also and what were the kind of learnings from that. Uh, and that's yeah. part of the main reason for that. And, uh, and I'm surprised to hear that they had a lot of these issues. And I want to understand more of what were those issues within the FTD that made them want to work with? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first thing that I would say is that it was actually less a matter of there being like a bunch of acute issues that they wanted to work on. And more so like that, that group of people, like they are just incredibly curious and want to continually get better. So I think they were just very open to the idea of, you know, this organization, the ready who has not necessarily DAO experience, but experience helping organizations, um, uh, you know, becoming more self-managed, becoming more effective just versions of themselves. They were just, I think, had a very open mind to like, oh, there might be stuff here that we can we can learn, which is like major kudos to, to them to just have that, that kind of curiosity. Um, so that's the primary thing, uh, I think. Um, once, you know, I got a little bit more involved with them, one of the things, the, the primary role that I played for a while was really... Um, really more of just like a, an external expert facilitator, um, particularly around their budgeting uh, process. So, you know, each work stream needing to put a budget in front of their stewards, their token holders for approval. Um, they didn't want to just do it in a completely siloed way. Like it doesn't make any sense for FDD to make up a budget in complete isolation from GPC or any of the other work streams. So they're needed... Uh, they needed help kind of creating a, um, a series of venues where conversations around budgets and what we're going to work on um, could happen uh, across work streams. So facilitating those workshops, you know, kind of half day, full day workshops every season for them was kind of my primary role in helping kind of tweak how they approach that. And through that, um, you know, doing that the first time, you know, it, it went fine, but it was pretty obvious to them and to me that it's difficult to talk about where money should go if we don't have a really clear sense of what are we here to do, um, which is 
the purpose and essential intent conversation. So kind of coming out of that first round of um, budgeting talks that I helped them with, they're kind of kind of made the pitch that like, hey, you know, I have this thing in my back pocket called essential intent um, and, you know, helping teams develop a purpose. Um, if it's interesting to you all, I think it would help quite a bit. Um, and they were down to, to do that. So facilitated a, a series of sessions around helping them um, come up with a, a team purpose and essential intent that they could bring back to the community and get feedback on. And they did a couple of rounds of feedback on. And, and if you go to Gitcoin's website and, you know, go to, um, there's a link to a Notion page. If you go to on the community tab and then at the bottom, it says get involved in the DAO. If you click on it, it takes you to a public notion and you can see what they landed on in terms of their purpose and uh, essential intent, um, which is cool for them to like show that, that work uh, publicly. And then now that we had, or they had some essential intent and uh, a purpose, future budgeting conversations had an anchor. We could say like, okay, well, we're here to do these essential intent. Can we make an argument as to like why we're asking for money for this versus not for this? It became a much, just much more cohesive conversation for them to have. There, I think they would all agree that there's still a lot of work to be done in how to budget in a more adaptive way where it's not a huge lift for these various work stream leads on a pretty regular cadence because it is a lot of work. The system they've built for themselves, it's very um, labor intensive, but I think the essential intent work helps make it make a little bit more uh, more sense. I think and the so. FDD stuff actually, just to answer your other question, was actually kind of a very similar thing, but on a, a smaller level. So I think we, if I remember correctly, we kind of did some essential intent stuff, but purely within FDD. Um, you know, given FDD's understanding of what they were there to do, what is their most important work? Are we resourced against it appropriately? So we just did that. What I did with the full CSD group, kind of on a smaller basis with FDD first. Uh, considering disruption, Joe heads FDD, I think he would have had a lot of work cut out for you in the first place. The guy's one of the most <laughs> meticulous guys I've seen, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I give Joe a lot of credit. Um, you know, when I was talking about just like curiosity, I mean, the main person I was thinking of was was Joe. Like, he's very he cares a lot about figuring out the best way to to do things like this he likes I, I, from what i can tell you he really um, gets along with the operating system idea and is always a voice of trying to help uh gitcoin define what their operating system is and i think there's you know a lot more work to be done in the future around other parts of the the canvas but there's some really interesting experimentation happening um within that that dao i mean the the mmm group memes marketing and merch you know, are experimenting with um, with Murmur. So using this tool to to come to uh, agreement or come to decisions around uh, agreements in a in a participatory way. Um, the the two leads over there um, are doing an amazing job to kind of push things forward. So there's I'm very bullish on this organization, both for their purpose, because I think what Gitcoin does is amazing. And also the like quality of folks who are wrestling with what it means to do DAOs well, I've been very impressed with. Absolutely. I mean, um, you see, uh, I think the central reason for why they've become that way was uh, the quality of their team that was there since the inception. You know, Kevin Awaki, Joe, all these people, they cared so much about the whole public goods itself. You know, the, you saw, you see the trajectory in which their entire journey went. You know, I mean, uh, even though public goods was their main 
uh, focus, you know, when the 2018 bear market happened, they had to shift to hackathons to get that sort of revenue for that public goods to survive. Uh, and to kind of get through two bear markets, to come out with a, a very uh, exponentially growing community, it's insane. And some of the problems with having that sort of community is that you tend to get lost with the community. But here they've been very clear about sticking to making that whole uh, grants program as democratically accessible as possible. And it's not surprising that they've able to hit $70 million in in that sort of volumes given out to broader projects, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, so many. So, but the thing, uh, what I want to come back to focus is that uh, the whole, you joined in probably uh, just a couple of months before their first anniversary as a DAO. What they did very well, even though they transitioned to a DAO, was they always had proper structures and they always understood uh, in general of what their work streams were. They had proper documentation in place comp uh, where you had key onboarding, the steward councils was there. You had, uh, uh, I think, uh, FireEye's DAO come in to really structure how their DAO was being placed before GTC, the token came out. So everything was well structured in place before uh, all these teething issues. You know, uh, The issue that you mentioned about budgeting, I've been ardently reading Gitcoin. I mean, frankly, Gitcoin is a major interest for me. And the budgeting issue is a central issue. I think you're, yeah. uh, it's not a uh, like a secondary issue that you tackled right there. Budgeting is the one of the most, it's a tough, one of the toughest tensions that the Gitcoin community inside struggles with. I see the forums and the way they describe it. It's like, oh man, you know, it's like, coming to the budgeting cycle again. There's so much fear within these people to uh, to kind of bring out whatever makes sense, you know. And, it's a very emotional, uh, it's a very emotional thing to, to do. Um, and, you know, they try to, I think they do a good job of like, you know, being respectful to each other in their disagreements because like, if you're not having disagreements about budgeting stuff, then you're not actually making any decisions. Um, so like, I think CSDO, you know, is, is really, kind of wrestling with that and having a central tent is helping with that, but there is still, there is still way too much manual work that has to go into creating budgets and putting them in front of the stewards. And, but you know, there's, 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 it's so multifaceted because like, obviously stewards have a role there to weigh in uh, and approve budgets. Stewards also don't have the same level of context uh, to the work as the work stream leads or anybody who's actively working in the DAO uh, has uh, as well. Even though, you know, Simona, I think does a great job and the others who are kind of working with the stewards to make sure that they have the information. Um, it's a it's a really challenging problem um, that I think, I, I would suspect there's gonna be kind of some more experimentation around like, how frequently do they go in front of the stewards for budgets? Like, is it possible to get budgets for a longer period of time that are a little bit less specified and but we have trust that the work streams are going to use the, that funding appropriately versus like having to go in front of the the work stream or the in front of the stewards every three months or every four months whatever their season is basically every quarter um that cadence feels i think unsustainable at least at the same level of detail that they've been doing it at i think you're talking out of the experience out of the ready right you've maintained that sort of trust environment for how what to say people within the ready are supposed to spend uh, and if you have that sort of culture where stewards are kind of brought sorry not stewards the work stream leads and the contributors are kind of shaped up according to culture then why not give them a leeway according to 
or that sort of budgets right but the issue here is uh, i've seen the conversations and a, a key issue is uh, most of these people uh, uh, you don't need to quote me on this this is just a normal convo where i feel a lot of the tension is that people don't know where to put that money into you know uh, they're so focused on the vision that there's not a, a lot of uh, prudence about uh, keeping things little lean also especially considering the bear market also you have a lot of um, uh, how do i put it opposing voices about keeping things lean and another aspect that comes into play is one is the uh, how do you uh, understand budgeting as a whole uh, because work streams are kind of autonomous so you need to understand uh, financials also in a way to keep things going uh, you know that's yeah. a fuel that's a lifeblood right and on the other hand you have uh, this constantly dynamic intent within gitcoin itself you have so many moving parts you have the grants program you have gitcoin passport you have grants protocol coming in that uh, whatever purpose and is essential intents that you've built within these work streams are do they adhere to that in the first place or not uh, my because now if you just take a look sam yesterday uh, or probably within the last couple of days moonshot collective uh, they've put in a proposal where they want to merge with the gpc now essentially because of the bear market coming in the moonshot uh, experimentations that they did are not like really working out so now they want to like be uh, merged within the gpc and they want to like support whatever is going on within the gpc that is kind of like a byproduct of what's going on with the market influencing that my question is where do you draw a line between focusing on the purpose and essential intent no matter what and kind of completely f- changing that uh, to do what's best uh, considering the circumstance you know because you take a look at here you have created all these essential intents but it's changed because of circumstance is that a healthy way of doing it yeah so one way we think about essential intent is that um we only even though they are kind of at a 1 to 3 year 2 to 4 year kind of horizon we check in on them quarterly so i don't know if they're due for a check in on their essential intent they probably are or will be soon that is the type of conversation that that's why we do a check in quarterly because the external environment is changing more rapidly uh than than a 2 to 4 year kind of horizon so the conversation around tweaking essential intent um is specifically what you just talked about here like are there things going on that are telling us that we actually either need to change this or pause it or maybe there's actually a new one here that we really need to to elevate so that is like one way to just use that tool to be responsive to the moment um so that's where my 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 head goes uh first I think i had another thought but i it has it has left me it may come back um so the way i see it it's like um the purpose and essential intent is a byproduct of two things about what your community cares for uh within the thing and it's also a reaction to what's going on exter- externally yeah. so when i remember my thing now as well that's exactly what i wanted <laughs> <laughs> uh but the the other thing that i was going to say is that um we often um so part of that quarterly cadence one of the things that we do is set what we call even over statements which are just uh they take the format of x even over y and both x and y have to be good things but so for example we you know you could have this be about strategy you could have it be about like interpersonal stuff 
So one we had at the ready a couple of years ago was um, honest conversations, even over team harmony. Like both of those are really good things. But for the next quarter, we really wanted to lean into like, we need to be able to have real conversations with each other, even if we think it's going to like cause discord among us. So I bring that up as a tool because that is the type of thing that you can use to respond to your environment uh, as well. You know, if you're in a, a really resource constrained uh, place or you're you know, kind of worried about the bear market, I would imagine there are some even overs that the team may want to agree to, which will help them steer in that moment. And then what you have, what those are, those are guardrails to constrain behavior over the next quarter. And we can agree, you know, we can basically kind of call each other out if we're not adhering to these even overs that we set together as a, as a team. So that's just another tool that you can use to to respond to what is happening, um, you know, around you. One example of an even over related to what they're doing may be like, all right, for the next quarter, like we're going to do like fiscal responsibility, even over innovation or like something like that. Like we're not gonna spin up new things for the next quarter because we're trying to save money, as an example. This aspect of conversations itself, you know, underneath that whole purpose and essential intents, how do you bring in that sort of culture where people are comfortable to be, you know, talk, talking that sort of tough conversations? I think a lot of the underlying tension comes that, you know, they're not comfortable having that convo. How do you bring in that comfort through in the first place? Yeah, I think, like anything, it is something that you practice and get better at. Uh, so it's just a matter in, in a, in a lot of cases, there's no like shortcut. There's no like special tip. There's just like, you do it more frequently. I think that having a facilitator who is external to the group kind of in, um, running the session where we're potentially going to have difficult conversations helps kind of keep the playing field even and do some things to just make it easier for, for people to, to say those things. But there's also just like the commitment up front um, that, you know, we'll do at the beginning of a session and just this, this culture has where like these people like care for each other and they care for this organization and they're willing to kind of lean into that discomfort to have conversations that are going to maybe be personally difficult, but in the service of something that they all care about, which is the success of, of Gitcoin. Um, and that's not to say that like everybody is perfect at that all the time, but I think there is a general care to like being able to do this well. Like each, each of those leaders, I think understands that there is a, that being able to do that, um, whether you like it or not, is just part of being an effective uh, leader. And I think, you know, we're talking about psychological safety here, basically. So what people have to believe and, and trust is that they can say something unpopular and it won't be a reputational harm uh, to them. And there's no like magic bullet or, 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 or magical lever to pull to like just make that naturally happen. It is something that builds over time as people see how themselves or others are treated when they are kind of the squeaky wheel. Um, and if you're able to be on a team where you can not get like visibly impatient when other people are like bringing up difficult things, or you feel like we have to go back to, to something, I think that goes a long way to creating an environment where we can have those conversations as opposed to where like, if, you know, every time you say something that you think might be unpopular, you can tell that like everybody is like shooting you death glares. Like you're going to be less likely to do that uh, in, in the future. And part of that is having facilitation. Part of that is like just having a commitment to that as a group that, 
it's important that we be able to do this and we can disagree on ideas and not have uh, not have that be an interpersonal uh, dis disagreement. And the last thing I'll say, which I think Gitcoin does well, and we definitely try to emphasize at the ready is that in this like totally autonomous um, working world, um, completely distributed, it is, I think, important to come together in real life uh, and get meals together, work in the same room together and kind of renew those relationships that can be frayed when you're only working with someone through video or through discord. It's a nice reminder that like, oh yeah, this person who's pissing me off right now on my screen <laughs> is actually someone who I really like. And we had a great meal together a couple of weeks ago and we're going to see each other again in a couple of months. Um, that goes, I think, a long way to teams being able to uh, have those kind of difficult conversations. I think uh, the aspect of building that sort of relationship, you know, I think a lot of DAOs, I mean, they do try it when you kind of get to the nearest ETH India or the nearest ETH Denver. It's just one of those moments where teams can just come together to kind of have that uh, personal connect. I think you made a fantastic point, you know, that um, where teams kind of get wrong, I mean, this is personally, and I've suffered it. Uh, when you get too passionate about moving the community forward, you kind of take things personally, you know, and you shouldn't have to do that when you're kind of getting into that sort of conversations. I think set, building, having that sort of context building before we have that sort of tough conversations, yes, you know, this is going to be a tough conversation. We can't expect everybody to be perfect also. It may get heated, but that's how people are. But in general, you know, we do care about each other. Uh, we want the community as a whole to progress. You know, people do make mistakes, but uh, we all should be forgiving enough because we all want to uh, get to a better place together. If we have all these uh, aspects set up before the convo happens, I think it makes it much more easier, you know. Uh, although you can't escape that sort of disagreements, I think uh, ha having that sort of facilitator to kind of step in when things get dicey is uh, really cool. Uh, and even but, better than just when things get dicey, but to have thought ahead of time about the structure that we're going to use to have this conversa conversation, because just coming in and having no structure and a general topic that we think we need to talk about is generally, in my experience, not the best way to actually do it. There's a way to structure a conversation where like, first, we're going to do this and then we're going to move into this. And maybe we're going to even be like in a tool like Mural where we are like putting ideas down and like. There are things that you can do as a good facilitator to create a container where that conversation can happen in a better way, rather than just kind of the free for all of people showing up and the people who are loudest and most pissed off talk the most. Absolutely. And just kind of uh, moving past that to have the sort of conversation which is necessary for the community, I think it's key. But I want to step back, you know, uh, you've created this mission and essential intents for the broader um, for the FTD and for these work streams, right? What are the, some of the challenges that you saw within the community to create that uh, essential intense? And what, what would you give, uh, what are the pointers that you would give other DAOs who are trying to create that sort of uh, intense within their own work streams? And what are the best ways of doing it? What are the mistakes you should yeah. avoid? I think the, the most common challenge that I see with it is that organizations feeling like they have to get it perfect. Um, because if, I mean, the word essential is right there in it, right? Like if we don't get this right, then, then we're, then we've like really screwed ourselves. Um, but I think that I, I, we, you know, one of the principles that I'm always talking about is progress, even over perfection. So like your first stab at writing down essential intent 
like they're going to be wrong. Like you're going to look at them in four months or a year from now. And you're going to be like, yeah, that was not actually the thing. But the important thing is that you captured it in that moment. And now we have something to talk about and kind of judge and, and uh, compare what we currently think to what we thought before. That's the true value of the tool, not necessarily nailing it on the first try. So helping a team kind of relax a little bit about that while still taking it seriously. Like we do want to actually make some decisions here. Like, and, and if we're not making trade-offs, then we're not actually talking about what is essential. So how can we bring enough specificity to the essential intent that we're coming up with that it feels like a real thing um, without getting so precious about it that we feel like we can't move forward uh, with it? And then the other thing that is just always a challenge is that you have lots of different perspectives about what is the most essential uh, work to, to be done. And we have um, kind of different worldviews and different value systems around like, what do we care about the, the most? and you know, teams have to talk about that. They have to work through that. And that's, you know, partially the, the difficult conversations because sometimes and very frequently at the end of the day, after you've uh, articulated your essential intent, you realize there are things that we are currently doing that are not part of the essential intent. And you have an option at that point. Maybe it's still important and we want to put, we want to keep it going. We want to like still invest in it. Um, which is fine. Like a, a, an essential intent is never going to be like the only thing that we do. What is really going to matter is when we come back together in four months uh, and we ask ourselves, like, what progress have we made on this essential intent? Hopefully we can say that we've made progress. And if we haven't, then maybe we need to have some more difficult conversations around, well, maybe this essential intent is wrong and we just need to get rid of it. Or maybe there are other things that are not in our essential intent that are distracting us from this thing that we still think is very important. And then, you know, that leads to conversations about how we actually are going to resource or prioritize this, this thing. But, you know, if you're going to be saying no to things that is challenging. And if you're not saying no to anything, then you're not talking about what's essential. Absolutely. Uh, having that sort of, uh, you know, essential intense really uh, prioritize what really matters and, sometimes uh, DAOs, what they do. I mean, the best example is uh, what uh, Gitcoin is currently doing with the Moonshot Collective, you know. Uh, there's so many dApps that are being built to, to further public goods funding, but kind of allowing for that merge with the GPC when the bear market's kind of uh, at a high, you know, it's just kind of being rampant right now. You prioritize resources uh, to uh, the GPC itself because underneath all of that you understand that okay you know moving forward the broader concept of public goods is what matters and having that sort of the lack of ego to be able to adhere to what matters essentially really counts that way and having that written down uh to kind of be a north star it's pretty uh, critical that way uh, uh that's pretty neat and uh so stepping back, you know, now what excites you about the DAO space going forward? I know that lately you've been really excited to work with a lot of DAOs and things like that. What are some of the things that you find fascinating within DAOs that and you want to like get to work immediately with? And Yeah, just generally, I am fascinated um, by just the degrees of freedom within DAOs. What I mean by that is just nothing has really been like written in stone in any DAO because they haven't been around long enough and there's just so much experimentation happening. Like my 
my life at the ready prior to getting involved in DAO stuff is basically at the other end of the continuum. Like if in the bureaucracy chaos continuum, I have lived primarily in the bureaucracy end for a long time, which I think is still really fascinating. And I like doing that work, but it has been a great, um, I think exercise in my own, my own abilities as a practitioner to be showing up at the other end of the continuum, which is the chaos end, which is like what's going on in a lot of DAOs. And like the optimist in me is really excited by that because there's interesting stuff to be done across the operating system in, in DAOs. So I want to really help, uh, especially brand new DAOs figure out like, what does it look like to go from, from like zero to one with your operating system? Like, I know I talked before about like not over optimizing or creating too much structure upfront, which I still believe, but I think there are probably a handful of key decisions to be made about your operating system very early on that if you kind of nail those early, things are just easier down the road. So I want to like both figure out what my take is on that and then find some places, uh, some DAOs that will experiment with, with that. I think there's a great um, opportunity uh, there. Um, that's the, that's the main, well, I guess the other thing that I'm really interested in and I've been doing more is um, kind of helping DAOs that want to play with Murmur, uh, which I've mentioned a couple of times, but that, that software company that we spun out, um, there are a handful of DAOs that are doing some experimentation and, um, to the extent that I can um, kind of be a conduit between them and the development team over at Murmur, but also kind of help them implement uh, from like a org design kind of coach perspective. I'm really optimistic that a tool uh, like Murmur could be just like a foundational part of the tech stack for for most uh, for most DAOs. So I want to do what I can to help with that. Amazing. I think... Uh... You know, when it comes to early stage DAOs that are planning to tackle, I think you have a lot of DAOs out there. Every day, I think yeah. you have so many DAOs coming in. Uh, I think at this point, I think we have around 5,000 DAOs in gen in total. Yeah. And I think by the I think it's just going to be an exponential growth from this point onwards. And you see, at least personally, I've been a part of a, a lot of these DAOs. And the reason for why they failed was... Uh, this confusion around what they were supposed to do or uh, kind of facilitating resources towards that in a kind of a sustainable way. Uh, confusion around purpose and a lack of proper uh, resources around that as well. So uh, for you to come in, having uh, learned from Gitcoin and all these, uh, what is it, Tradogs itself will be a massive boost for uh, DAOs to come in. So any DAO, uh, what is it, dog design geek out there, you know, just yeah. do uh, drop a message to Sam. He'll be happy to. Exactly. My, uh, <laughs> my DMs are open on, uh, on Twitter. <coughs> I will happily uh, chat with, with anyone about anything that you, uh, you heard me talk about today. Absolutely. And especially us. And we'll be keeping in touch for, for a lot of other topics besides this mm -hmm. as well. So you'll be hearing a lot from us. Uh, and uh, before we just kind of wrap it up, uh, who are the best org design thinkers out there that you kind of uh, really enjoy reading from within the DAO space, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if every, a couple of the, the folks I have on this list here are in the DAO space, but I think there's a lot for DAO folks to learn from folks who are not um, specifically in the DAO space. So I would definitely be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, all my colleagues at the ready, particularly <laughs> Aaron and Rodney. Um, they have a podcast called Brave New Work, uh, which is also the name of the book that Aaron wrote. 
Um, there's a lot of good stuff uh, from there. They did a, a mini series with Chase Chapman a while ago, kind of specifically kind of bringing some of our ideas of org design um, to DAOs uh, specifically. Um, you know, in terms of others, kind of non-DAO folks that I think are, are doing good thinking around um, just org design in general, uh, John Cutler uh, on Twitter, I should have written down all their tags, but you'll find them if you search for John Cutler, um, Stowe Boyd and Tim Casasola. Um, you know, three three friends of mine uh, who I think are doing great, great work. Ted Rao from Sociocracy for All. Um, Sociocracy has a lot to offer uh, to DAOs as well. And then um, kind of in the DAO space, um, so Spencer and Nick from Hats Protocol. Uh, I think Hats Protocol is really interesting. A lot of the stuff that I was talking about, roles and role clarity, um, I've been following kind of their stuff pretty closely. And then um, Dan Wu from Orca, now known as Metropolis. Um, Dan's great. Uh, great thinker and also uh, pretty good at TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm not on TikTok, but I do see what he's sharing. I only see his, on his TikTok kind of through Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same, same. Uh, it's yeah. pretty funny, though. Uh, Dan was pretty nice also. And uh, you mentioned yeah. Spencer and Nick, pretty f- wonderful thinkers. But yeah. the main guy over there, David Ehrlichman, phenomenal. Uh, what to say? I love this book, Impact Networks. I think... <clears throat> It's kind of shaped, uh, what to say, uh, how a lot of DAOs also kind of function, especially we had uh, yeah. CRF come in onto our show and they really made this structure around creating, facilitating uh, learning and action-oriented networks uh, for yeah. their own structure. That's pretty lit to see. Uh, also a big fan personally of Joe uh, from Gitcoin. Yeah, I of mean, course. <laughs> uh, for, Absolutely. You can't, I mean, when it comes to these sort of discussions, you can't ignore the guy. Uh, yeah, the, I feel the, like I, I should have put him on my list, but I also, I pumped his tires pretty good during this uh, this episode. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yeah, we need a little bit of a bare face for the guy now. I think we pumped him <laughs> up too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, another one that I really uh, kind of, I enjoyed... I think DAOs, you know, some of the main DAOs in general where a lot of the discussion around orgs, org design itself, they present a lot of insights that could kind of help you reshape a DAO. Before I came uh, for this interview, I had read a lot about Radical. They had done a lot of thinking around how they had to structure their org design. Um, Gitcoin, then also Bankless to some extent. Yeah, phenomenal conversations out there and you learn about where they fail, where, you know, things are kind of going wrong and you can learn from that to kind of uh, sh- uh, to help broaden your own org design also. So pretty good. So yeah. stepping back for a second now, I think it was a wonderful conversation that we had. I think we covered the a broad spectrum in a very kind of uh, digestible manner about meetings, about uh, about um, creating that sort of mission and mission and essential intents. And we've covered so many things around organization. It was great to have you for this convo, Sam. Thank you so much for doing this. I know that we could have gone in for a day if we had to. There were so many variables that we could have covered, but then we have our own, uh, this thing. We enjoyed having you over, Sam. Yeah, I I really appreciate it. It was, um, I I like going uh, deep into this stuff. I feel like I've done a lot of podcasts where I just kind of had like skim across the surface of of what we do. So it was nice to to go a little bit deeper. Absolutely. Uh, That is part of the primary reason we wanted to try out this. We want to go in and really come out with that sort of insights and just having that sort of leeway really helps us. So for people who want to like, 
maybe want to step away from the podcast and connect with you personally what are the best ways to do that or, or are there other initiatives that you would like people to follow also I mean, the best way to contact me, at least in this moment, who knows, in, in the coming weeks is Twitter. Uh, at, uh, Sam Sperlin uh, should be easy enough to, to find. Uh, my email is sam at the ready.com. I actually do like receiving email because I don't get very much because we don't use email <laughs> at the ready. So like if you land in my inbox, like that's like you're you're going get, to get, get, get my attention. Um, and then the, the ready.com to learn more about, uh, the ready. I think we're going to be creating some more landing pages that are more DAO specific, uh, in the future. Um, so I'll definitely be tweeting about that as we, as we create it. Um, but yeah, those, those are the places primarily. Absolutely. And we will be happy to kind of link that in the description. So, uh, do cool. check it out after the podcast's done, uh, along with all the bunch of organizational design thinkers out there, we'll have all those links out there for you to check out. So with that, we wrap up the episode. It's been phenomenal. Do look forward to the other episodes that we've, we have lined up for you. And with that, we close the show. Have an amazing day ahead of you.